Book One, Chapter Four of One of Ours. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. One of Ours by Willa Cather. Chapter Four. The time was approaching for Claude to go back to the struggling denominational college on the outskirts of the state capital, where he had already spent two dreary and unprofitable winters. Mother, he said one morning when he had an opportunity to speak to her alone, I wish you would let me quit the temple and go to the state university. She looked up from the mass of dough she was kneading. But why, Claude? Well, I could learn more, for one thing. The professors at the temple aren't much good. Most of them are just preachers who couldn't make a living at preaching. The look of pain that always disarmed Claude came instantly into his mother's face. Son, don't say such things. I can't believe but teachers are more interested in their students when they are concerned for their spiritual development, as well as the mental. Brother Weldon said many of the professors at the State University are not Christian men. They even boast of it in some cases. Oh, I guess most of them are good men, all right. At any rate, they know their subjects. These little pinheaded preachers like Weldon do a lot of harm, running about the country talking. He's sent around to pull in students for his own school. If he didn't get them, he'd lose his job. I wish he'd never got me. Most of the fellows who flunk out at the state come to us, just as he did. But how can there be any serious study where they give so much time to athletics and frivolity? They pay their football coach a larger salary than their president. And those fraternity houses are places where boys learn all sorts of evil. I've heard that dreadful things go on in them sometimes. Besides, it would take more money, and you couldn't live as cheaply as you do at the Chapman's. Claude made no reply. He stood before her, frowning and pulling at a callous spot on the inside of his palm. Mrs. Wheeler looked at him wistfully. "'I'm sure you must be able to study better in a quiet, serious atmosphere,' she said. He sighed and turned away. If his mother had been the least bit unctuous like Brother Weldon, he could have told her many enlightening facts. But she was so trusting and childlike, so faithful by nature, and so ignorant of life as he knew it, that it was hopeless to argue with her. He could shock her and make her fear the world even more than she did, but he could never make her understand. His mother was old-fashioned. She thought dancing and card-playing dangerous pastimes. Only rough people did such things when she was a girl in Vermont, and worldliness only another word for wickedness. According to her conception of education, one should learn, not think, and above all one must not inquire. The history of the human race as it lay behind one was already explained, and so was its destiny which lay before. The mind should remain obediently within the theological concept of history. Nat Wheeler didn't care where his son went to school, but he too took it for granted that the religious institution was cheaper than the state university and that because the students there looked shabbier they were less likely to become too knowing and to be offensively intelligent at home. However, he referred the matter to Bayliss one day when he was in town. Claude's got some notion he wants to go to the state university this winter. Bayliss at once assumed that, 
wise, better be prepared for the worst expression which had made him seem shrewd and seasoned from boyhood. I don't see any point in changing unless he's got good reasons. Well, he thinks that bunch of parsons at the temple don't make first-rate teachers. I expect they can teach Claude quite a bit yet. If he gets in with that fast football crowd at the state, there'll be no holding him. For some reason, Bayless detested football. This athletic business is a good deal overdone. If Claude wants exercise, he might put in the fall wheat. That night Mr. Wheeler brought the subject up at supper, questioned Claude, and tried to get at the cause of his discontent. His manner was jocular as usual, and Claude hated any public discussion of his personal affairs. He was afraid of his father's humor when it got too near him. Claude might have enjoyed the large and somewhat gross cartoons with which Mr. Wheeler enlivened daily life had they been of any other authorship, but he unreasonably wanted his father to be the most dignified, as he was certainly the handsomest and most intelligent man in the community. Moreover, Claude couldn't bear ridicule very well. He squirmed before he was hit, saw it coming, invited it. Mr. Wheeler had observed this trait in him when he was a little chap, called it false pride, and often purposely outraged his feelings to harden him, as he had hardened Claude's mother, who was afraid of everything but school-books and prayer-meetings when he first married her. She was still more or less bewildered, but she had long ago got over any fear of him and any dread of living with him. She accepted everything about her husband as part of his rugged masculinity, and of that she was proud in her quiet way. Claude had never quite forgiven his father for some of his practical jokes. One warm spring day, when he was a boisterous little boy of five, playing in and out of the house, he heard his mother entreating Mr. Wheeler to go down to the orchard and pick the cherries from a tree that hung loaded. Claude remembered that she persisted rather complainingly, saying that the cherries were too high for her to reach, and that even if she had a ladder it would hurt her back. Mr. Wheeler was always annoyed if his wife referred to any physical weakness, especially if she complained about her back. He got up and went out. After a while he returned. "'All right now, Evangeline,' he called cheerily as he passed through the kitchen. "'Cherries won't give you any trouble. You and Claude can run along and pick em as easy as can be.' Mrs. Wheeler trustfully put on her sunbonnet, gave Claude a little pail, and took a big one herself, and they went down the pasture hill to the orchard, fenced in on the lowland by the creek. The ground had been plowed that spring to make it hold moisture, and Claude was running happily along in one of the furrows, when he looked up and beheld a sight he could never forget. The beautiful round-topped cherry-tree, full of green leaves and red fruit. His father had sawed it through! It lay on the ground beside its bleeding stump. With one scream Claude became a little demon. He threw away his tin pail jumped about howling and kicking the loose earth with his copper-toed shoes until his mother was much more concerned for him than for the tree son son she cried it's your father's tree he has a perfect right to cut it down if he wants to he's often said that the trees were too thick in here maybe it will be better for the others tain't so he's a damn fool damn fool claude bellowed still hopping and kicking almost choking with rage and hate 
His mother dropped on her knees beside him. Claude, stop! I'd rather have the whole orchard cut down than hear you say such things. After she got him quieted, they picked the cherries and went back to the house. Claude had promised her that he would say nothing, but his father must have noticed the little boy's angry eyes fixed upon him all through dinner, and his expression of scorn. Even then his flexible lips were only too well adapted to hold the picture of that feeling. For days afterward Claude went down to the orchard and watched the tree grow sicker, wilt and wither away. God would surely punish a man who could do that, he thought. A violent temper and physical restlessness were the most conspicuous things about Claude when he was a little boy. Ralph was docile and had a precocious sagacity for keeping out of trouble. Quiet in manner, he was fertile in devising mischief and easily persuaded his older brother, who was always looking for something to do, to execute his plans. It was usually Claude who was caught red-handed. Sitting mild and contemplative on his quilt on the floor, Ralph would whisper to Claude that it might be amusing to climb up and take the clock from the shelf, or to operate the sewing machine. When they were older and played out of doors, he had only to insinuate that Claude was afraid to make him try a frosted axe with his tongue, or jump from the shed roof. The usual hardships of country boyhood were not enough for Claude. He imposed physical tests and penances upon himself. Whenever he burned his finger he followed Mahaley's advice and held his hand close to the stove to draw out the fire. One year he went to school all winter in his jacket to make himself tough. His mother would button him up in his overcoat and put his dinner-pail in his hand and start him off. As soon as he got out of sight of the house he pulled off his coat, rolled it under his arm, and scudded along the edge of the frozen fields, arriving at the frame schoolhouse panting and shivering, but very well pleased with himself. End of Book One Chapter Four Recording by Tom Weiss